Okay, Zami, you want to come to the class? No? Okay. Uh, let me turn off the light behind me. It's going to give you a glare. Zami, it's not a video, it's a class, okay? Not gonna, not gonna find it too exciting. Okay. Hi, Zami. Zami, say hi. Hi. You want to join the class? Okay. All right. So Aww. it's great to see everybody. Great to see you back at Tanya Tuesday. And um, this week, we're going to uh, finish off chapter six. And the topic that we were kind of in the middle of last week. So that's where we're going to go. Um, so let me try this for a second. Okay, I'm just trying this as well. Okay. So last week we ended off really um, discussing the idea. We had three main words that you were supposed to walk away with knowing. Uh, one was holiness. One was uh, klipa, which was the shell. And I don't remember the third word, but uh, that's okay. If you remember, it's good. Um, but regardless, um, this week we're going to go into the question, which was basically in order for something to exist and have their connection to God, have their life force from God, you need surrender. Surrender allows God to come in your life. And of course, God is the source of life for everything. And uh, we, we had the question last week, and we said we're going to touch upon it this week, which is, if something is not surrendered to God, right? We understand if you're surrendered to God, um, God can shine into you. But if you're not surrendered to God, um, how is that item going to exist, right? Because in order for something to have its life force, it needs to have God. And, and, and without God, how would it exist? Let's take a look um, at the text where it says the question, and then I'll tell the answer outside. So it's on page 88. And one second. Okay, page 88. So we said, you see the Tanya on the screen? Okay, good. Um, so page 88, we, we read last week, we said that an entity which lacks bitul, which lacks surrender, cannot be a vessel for God's holiness, as we said. Anything, however, which has not surrendered its ego to God and perceives itself as a separate entity to itself will not receive its life energy from God's holiness. This leaves us with the question, where does such an entity derive its spiritual energy and life force from, if not from God? Doesn't the monotheistic belief of Judaism teach that everything exists by virtue of God's sustenance alone, right? In other words, like I said last week, in, in the Jewish view, uh, there's nothing separate from God. And therefore, God has to be giving everything life. So if something is not surrendered to God, and by virtue of not being surrendered, uh, God will not be able to rest upon that item. How is it uh, existing? And the answer is, um, we can explain with a parable. Um, but you know, we, we could look at it like this, think about it like this. Um, anybody here ever goes to work Yeah, You go to work. Um, there is, uh, what we really want in life and there are, um, things that 
um, help us get what we want in life. We call them intermediaries. There might be a better word than intermediaries. Um, so the question is, is your work, is it what you want or is your work just an intermediary to what you want? Do you want to go to work or are you going to work because you want something else and work is the only way to get there? And, and by the way, there's no correct answer, but uh, um, the answer would actually be that it depends. Um, some people hate work. Some people hate what they do. And they literally only go to work for the money that the work brings to them. Some people feel that their work is something in, in, in value of itself that they want to do. And others, and probably even that latter category, have a mixture of both. Uh, even if, let's say, your work is something you want to do, there are parts of your work that you don't like to do. So, for example, I'm a rabbi, um, I, but I don't necessarily like paperwork, okay? Um, it's not really part of my mission, but sometimes it's something that we have to do with most businesses you have to do to accomplish your mission. So even within what you do, there are things sometimes that you're doing that you don't really want to do, but you do them because they help you accomplish your ultimate goal. Okay. Uh, again, for some people, all of work is not something they want to do and helps them accomplish an ultimate goal for others though. Uh, it may be a mixture, uh, you know, Know, and some more goal oriented, some some less goal oriented. Um, but that's really it. Let's let's take an, a, a car as an example as well. Uh, now, for some people, a car is entirely what they want—a fancy car. But for other people, a car is literally just a vehicle, which is what it's called. A, a car is literally a vehicle to get from point A to point B. They, they're not interested in the car itself, as long as it drives, as long as I get from point A to point B. E, and if I need to listen to classes. It's literally a vehicle. I'm not interested in the car itself. I'm interested in what the car can do for me, can, can bring for me. Um, so sometimes what this brings out is sometimes we will do things or be involved with things that we are not interested in, in it of themselves, but rather for what they can do for us. Or let's take flying. Some people I know hate flying, right? Uh, some people really abhor flying, but they'll do it uh, because it's the only way to get from point A to point B uh, to get to where they want to go. Uh, so despite their actual literal hate of airlines and flying and everything that goes along with it and travel, uh, they will do it and, and pay good money for it because it accomplishes uh, what they want. Um, so the same thing is in life as well. In general, there are things that we uh, don't like. There are things that we hate. And... Um, Nevertheless, we'll get involved with them because of what, what, what we need it for. And similarly, it goes with God. Um, there are things that God is involved with that, that he literally wants that item itself. Let's say something holy, something that's surrendered. God's involvement within it is, is very direct um, because he enjoys it. Um, but let's say, for example, you know, since we're talking about things that you hate and nevertheless you get involved with, let's say... Um, uh, God forbid there's somebody you hate, okay? There's a person you hate. I know it sounds odd and, and nobody would ever hate anybody else, but talking about in hypothetical worlds, okay? Right? And imagine in a hypothetical world, there was somebody you didn't like. But for whatever reason, you had to have some interaction with them. Uh, you had to give them something. Um, so how would you give it to them? You, you would probably give it to them. You would look at them. 
you maybe even if you could, you would throw it over your shoulder to give it to them, or you'd drop it off at their door and run away and ring their doorbell. All types of ways you needed to give somebody something because you needed to, you know, uh, even though you hate it, you needed to do it. And so that's how you did it. So that would be called um, giving something in a, uh, what in Judaism is called, there's panim, there's giving something with your face. That's to something you like. Then it's something called achor, behind you. There's giving not with your face. When you give something with your face, that means you enjoy what you're doing. You like what you're doing. You want to do it. Giving uh, with the back, like if you give something to your enemy, uh, implies that it's not something you really want. Uh, but nevertheless, you understand that you have to do it. And why are you doing it? For some ultimate other cause, right? For some ultimate other purpose that exists. So in our scenario, God, let's say, has to give a sustained life force to the evil forces in the world. Why? Um, you know, he has multiple reasons, but let's go with the simplest reason, which is simply to give us free will. There has to be evil in the world. There has to be the ability to do wrong. There has to be bad in order for there to be a choice between good and bad. So does God want evil? Well, God doesn't like evil. He want, He desires it uh, for, he doesn't desire it for it itself. He desires it for what it accomplishes for him, okay? So again, it's not a desire of evil itself. God forbid to say God likes evil. God does not like evil. God wants evil because there's something that he needs for it to accomplish, okay? Um, so all this is to say is that just like in our lives, there are things that we like, and therefore we're involved with it, with them in a very direct way. There are things we don't like, but nevertheless we want, and we may do them sometimes in more indirect ways. Okay, sometimes because we're human beings, we might have to do them in direct ways. But ultimately, the idea of a face versus a back also shows like, is that something that I desire, really desire? Is that something I really want? Uh, or is it something I just have to do? So even if we're, you know, quote unquote, looking at something, uh, but, we, you know, our, our heart may not be there, right? That's why you can always tell somebody's face, right? If they're doing something, but their heart's not there, usually you can tell. Um, um, so all this is to say with God is that um, when it comes to the unclean forces that are not surrendered to him, um, they, of course, need God in order to exist because anything in this world cannot exist without God. But the way God gives the, his life force to them is indirect in a way that very distant, uh, very hidden in a way that he really, uh, he wants it, but he doesn't really like it. So let's take a look in the text. Um, Zami, you're all done? Or you want to stick along for the class? Yeah? Want to go back to mommy? No? Okay. All right, so this is like this. To solve this problem, Tanya offers us a Kabbalistic insight into how evil forces come to exist. In contrast to holy and pure, which emanate directly from God, the evil and impure also um, are also sustained by God. Like one second. This gets any better. Um, in contrast to the whole encouragement directly from God, the evil and impure are also sustained by God's light, but indirectly so. Evil can only exist because it is a distant offshoot of the good and pale shadow of its holy source. Um, 
An impure entity does not receive its life energy directly from splendorous inner essential core of holiness itself, but from its behind. That's from the Eitz Chaim. Let's turn to the next page. You would greet a friend with a warm smile, but when meeting someone you don't like, it might be hard to look him in the face. You might want to turn your back on him. Similarly, God gives life force to the negative and impure, but he does so from behind, so to speak, since he despises evil. Um, and and he'll, he'll explain this in, in Kabbalistic terms in a moment. But first, I want to I wanna make sure that everybody understands um, this idea. Is that um, it's very important to understand this idea? There's direct and indirect, because this will play out in all different areas. Because a lot of times people will say, "Well, everything is godly, so what's the difference? Whatever I do, everything is godly." Well, yes, everything is godly. The question is, though, do you want a direct connection with God, or do you want indirect and lack of desire connection with God? Right. So, in other words. Um, if you sin and you're connected with, uh, or, 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 you know, other, if you, if you do things that are not good, um, is it godly? There's godliness in it, but God is, God wants the evil to exist, but your connection to God is then indirect and not what God desires. God, not what God likes, not what God loves. He wants it for, for what he gets from it. And anybody's any comments? Yes. Okay. All right. Go for it. This, this is Nicole. Um, okay. So are we going like, you know, in my existential struggles of the day mm -hmm. and I'm looking for, you, I'm in a transition period of my life and I am looking for hearing what's next. Like I am literally trying to feel my way into, do I choose this? Do I choose that? And I'm assuming that this conversation is going in a direction like if I was more, um, in, I, 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 I'm, I can't find the right word. I don't mean to be moralistic by any means, but in tune or listening, I would hear God more directly. But, you know, my sugar intake today is, is rather high and not very integrous. So I am hearing it more indirectly. Mm -hmm. um, okay. There's Are hearing, you following? I'm, I'm following, yeah. There's, there's hearing God, um, which we won't always hear him. Uh, in other words, we can be directly connected with God without feeling him. That's a possibility. Um, that is a possibility. Um <laughs> We have to look at God's communication with us to figure out, you know, what is going to be a direct connection with him. Um, you know, and, and, and then the feeling and connection, you know, can also be worked on. Um, this chapter is mostly dealing with, though, the, the red matter. This chapter is dealing with uh, what's what's wrong, what's really indirect connection with God. The next chapter, which we're going to discuss God willing next week, discusses more of the gray areas of life where uh, the parts of life were which is most of life where we live in the gray. And this is the area of life where uh, anything, you know, what we have can go either way. In other words, you can take that matter and, 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 and connect with God directly or take that matter and God forbid, pull it down and um, connect with God in an indirect matter. So it's not, it's not always what you do. It's also how you do it. Right. But isn't it 
we, we are looking for a direct connection. We are like all the goal. The goal here in this conversation is we're looking for the direct connection. We're looking for him to look at us and give us not from the backside. Correct. We want to have a direct connection with God. Uh, how to get a direct connection with God? Well, so this chapter we're going to discuss mostly what is not a direct, what is indirect. Okay. Next chapter, we're going to discuss what's the gray areas of life and how uh, we can, uh, which is where we mostly live in, right? So what's wrong? We know what's wrong. Uh, what's what's right is harder to figure out, and that's that's going to be <laughs> uh, well. Well, sorry. There, there's there's sorry. There's things that are clearly wrong. There's things that are clearly right. Then there's the middle part of life. That's the hardest part, and uh, the middle part of life is going to be more of a discussion for next week. Uh, but first, first we need to know what's to what's completely wrong, which we're going to discuss today. So, but first, we're establishing a fact: is that anything that that is um, that is not what you know the will of God, shall we say, is automatically receiving its connection to God in an indirect manner, and uh, that's not probably what you want in your life if you're here studying the Tanya. That's just my assumption, right? Okay. Um, and, and again, the point is what, what is direct connection with God? What's indirect? Okay. Um, I think, do I want to say more on this? Um, okay. So let's move on because now we're going to have some controversial lines. Okay. Um, All right, so now he's going to have to explain Kabbalistically. As I've said many times, the Tanya is also written, it's written for the lay person, it's written for the Kabbalist, and it will include uh, lots of lines that will help explain things um, in, in all different levels. So now he's going to explain a little Kabbalistically what exactly it looks like uh, for the God's life force to come from himself to something indirectly. So what does indirect look like? So he says like this. The life force of impure things descends from its initially holy source, step by step, thousands of times through the spiritual, through the spiral of spiritual worlds, and it is diminished many times through cause and effect transitions, to the point where its divine light and energy has been so repeatedly diluted. So, cause and effect means cause and effect, literally, right? Cause and effect. For example, um, your speech is usually an effect of your thoughts, right? Cause and effect. Um, However, if you um, uh, constantly, uh, or it's, a, you know, it's also like called a chain, it's also known as a chain. Um, so if you, um, something can be directly from another thing, but yet look totally different. Now I'm going to bring a bad example because obviously we don't believe in it, but evolution is a bad example. Okay. Again, we as Jews don't believe we have evolved for monkeys, but that's a good example of where um, through cause and effect, so to speak, you can get to something that looks totally different now. But that, again, that you can really take. I know, you know, like I do a kosher supervision on food, for example, and sometimes to see how they can get from one, one item of food to the next through cause and effect is pretty amazing. OK, um, you know how they've taken the, the original pure item and, and, and turned it into ketchup, for example, uh, or actually, you know, I go to like an oil company. It's amazing how they refine these oils and, and extract and pull out all these different uh, types of oils. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, all these different fractions. Um, so that's a, an example of cause and effect, where um, it is 
directly sourced from the original item, but you've gone from uh, wonderful natural ingredients. You know, I love it when bottles say natural ingredients, right? Then maybe they are natural ingredients, but through cause and effect, you've created a heart attack, you know, in a bottle, <laughs> you know? So that's, that's, that's what it is over here, is that uh, through cause and effect, you can take natural ingredients, you can take holiness, and ultimately uh, you can get to the point, as he says, where the divine light and energy is so repeatedly diluted that it can be diminished, garbed and exiled in an autonomous entity. Exiled is a great word. Exiled means when you're in exile, you are in a place where you cannot be yourself. You're exiled. In other words, you want to be uh, in Florida and you're exiled to Mexico, let's say. Okay, You can't uh, operate as you would want in Florida. You're exiled to a foreign place or let's say, let's say, uh, uh, let's take a modern day example. You have this guy, a Priznev or whatever his name is, the head of the Wagner mercenary group. He's now exiled in Belarus. He cannot operate his mercenary group anymore, right? He's exiled or Napoleon uh, was exiled. All these different examples. That's what exiled means is that it's there, but it's not operating um, uh, as, as it would in its own place. So similarly, godliness is diminished guard and exiled into uh, these unclean forces to energize and sustain that thing's existence from no nothing to something to prevent it from reverting to null and void, which was its primordial state. Another example, actually, let's give a better example. Let's say a um, a diabolical evil person is 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 uh, imprisoning a, um, a a brilliant scientist for diabolical and evil plans, right? So the, the scientist doesn't want to be there and doesn't want to do the work. So that it's an exile. But at the end of the day, the, the exiled scientist is sustaining uh, the work of this diabolical evil person. Okay. So that's an example is God is, is here. He's, he's come and he's uh, enclosed within the unclean forces, but uh, it's not directly exactly what God wants. Of course, indirectly, it is what God wants because God wants evil to exist in order for there to be free will. But it's not the direct will of God. Let's read this. The law digger follows a principle, which we will elaborate upon in the second book of Tanya, that creation is a continuous process. If God will not constantly energize the creation, it would revert to nothingness from where it came. Here, the problem concerns evil. If God is not present in evil, then how can its existence constantly renew? The Tanya answers that God's presence is to be found in evil, but in such a diminished form, diminished and garbed, exiled, that it exhibits no divine properties. So it's exhibiting no divine properties. So that's um, a problem. Okay, so all of this will explain in a moment why the Kabbalists, the Arizal notably, called this world a world of uh, evil, so to speak. They called this world a world of evil. The spiritual worlds have certain elements of evil but this world since it has so much ego in it since there is such a large lack of surrender within this world uh this world is called the world of evil now of course we can uh, convert parts of the world but nevertheless the kabbalists call this world a world of evil because uh in this world it's not automatically apparent um god god is not automatically apparent within this world there was a great sage once uh, his son had a near-death experience, he passed away, he went to heaven, he came back. And when he came back, he said, I saw an upside-down world. What does it mean he saw an upside-down world? He said that everybody that's great in this world and the world to come was a nobody. And everybody that's a nobody in this world or some people that are nobodies in this world were great in the other world, meaning 
the great politicians, the great lawyers, the great rich people, you know, the people that are great in this world and in the world to come, they look like a nobody. And uh, the people in this world that were nobodies, you know, the rabbis and, uh, you know, the sages and whatever, in the world to come, they were, you know, this is during the Roman Empire, you know, they were, you know, the elevated people. And he says, you didn't see an upside down world, you saw the, the real world. You know, this world is the upside down world. This world is where things evil exist and where the truth is hidden. Uh, the world to come is, is the true world. Um, you know, there's, there's a line they say is that uh, uh, many people are searching for the truth, right? But very few are interested in actually finding it, <laughs> uh, right? We're all searching for the truth, but the, the, the actual truth is inconvenient. Um, so many people are searching for the truth. Uh, nobody actually wants to find it. You know, they tell us a parable. They tell a story of there was once a guy he um, he was so uh, sick of the falsehood of this world that um, he, he begged to God, please bring me to the world of truth. So he falls asleep, he has a dream, and in the dream he heads to the world of truth. And there he sees a bunch of candles, oil-filled candles. And uh, they tell him, welcome, you've come to a world of truth. And uh, he says, "New, so in this world of truth, what are all these candles? He said, all these candles are filled with oil they all show exactly how long every person is going to live based on the amount of oil left in their candle. The guy says, really? Okay, in the world of truth. Well, let me go see my enemy, the guy that I hate, the guy that's really bad. Let me go see what's left in his candle. So he walks over and he looks at the candle and says, ah, it's really the world of truth. He sees the candle's almost uh, finished. You know, Baruch Hashem, he says, you know, that guy, he's the, he's the worst of the worst. Now I can see this is the world of truth. Then he says, you know, let me go find my candle. So he goes down a couple aisles. You know, he looks, looks for his name. He finds his name. And he sees, unfortunately, his candle also is almost empty. He says, Ay vey, this is this is wrong. This is not right. It's got to be the world of truth. So he slowly tries to take from another candle to pour into his candle. And of course, someone stops him and says, hey, listen, you know, this is the world of truth. The point of the parable is that, um, that that's that's the story, is that uh, we, we all seek the truth and we all claim we want the truth but what we really want is our truth <laughs> not what the real truth is right so when he found his enemy was going to die soon oh yeah that's true but when he found that he was going to die soon uh, suddenly he wasn't so it's suddenly not the world of truth anymore so uh, we all love the truth and we all say we want the truth um but that's only when the truth aligns with what we want uh, and that's because we live in the world of falsehood like we live in a world of a lack of surrender uh, but if we were to live in a world of surrender um we would, sorry, I, I realized I was still sharing. Um, if we were to live in a world of surrender, um, uh, we would perceive the truth all the time and uh, uh, choice would be very easy. But God doesn't want our choice to be easy. So he creates this world of falsehood, this world of ego, this world of lack of surrender. And uh, that's why this world is called an evil world. In order for God to create a world in which there's choice, God had to create a world where there's a, a strong lack of surrender strong lack of uh, clear, direct um, shine of God's light. Of course, we can bring in God's light and shine into all the gray areas of life, as we'll discuss in the next chapter. But uh, at face value, the world has an abundance of falsehood. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced this, um, but if you ever want, um, uh, you know, I can I can show you a little bit of it. But yeah, it's quite clear that this world is a world of falsehood. It's because there's a lack of surrender. Uh, so let's take a look. Azami, I like how you're chuckling. Okay, so let's take a look over here. 
Um, therefore, this physical world and its contents is the world of klipos and sitra achro. That was the other word I wanted to teach you last week, right? Last week I taught you three words. Kedusha, holiness, which, uh, klipa, which is the shell, and sitra achro, which is the other side. Right, so klipa and sitra achra. Sitra achra means generally everything that's the other side, not godly. And klipa means, as I said last week, was a shell, kind of like we spoke about this week, the intermediary, right? The, the shell of something is so you can get to the fruit, right? You have a peanut shell so you can get to the actual peanut. So a klipa is a shell, it's an inter intermediary to protect and to enable what's going on on the inside. So this physical world, which is full of sitra achra, things that are Evil and klipa, a shell. Sometimes the shell can be, you know, a light shell like an apple. Sometimes it can be a, a hard shell like a, like a peanut, as we spoke last time. The natural disposition of the physical beings is to sense their own autonomous existence and to see the world as inherent reality outside of God. The predominant energy of the world then is klipa and sitra achra. Anybody who doesn't think that's the case, we should have a discussion, but I don't think it's up for debate. And that is why all of the affairs of this world are tough and evil and wicked men prevail, as stated in Eitzchayim, section 42, end of chapter 4. So if you want to know why do, uh, you know, why do bad people have a good time, that's the way this world is made. This world is made with an abundance of evil, abundance, lack of surrender. And um, also that, um, of course, as we've discussed, so it can enable our, our ability to have choice. If this world had very little lack of surrender, uh, choice would be easy. Okay. Now he's going to explain that, uh, now he's going to explain that there is gradations, okay? You know, don't think it's all bad. Don't think that, uh, you know, everything that's indirect from God is totally bad. There are levels of indirect, okay? Um, Like, 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 like I said a moment ago, uh, you know, with the example of the um, fruits, um, you know, there's shells of a peanut, which really, peanut shells won't help you anything, and there's shells of an apple, uh, which protect the apple and are also very, uh, can be good for you as well. Um, so there are many things in this world that are um, a uh, intermediary and help you can help you do what needs to be done, but only if you recognize that that's their purpose. As we discussed last time, right? God gives us money. God gives us health. God gives us uh, clothing. God gives us all these things. And we can get lost. We can get lost in the things and forget about God. I think I said an example. Let's think, I forget what my example was, right? But where we get... Oh, sorry. Somebody's calling me. Um... Uh, so sometimes we can get lost in the, what was my example? Anybody remembers, right? When, when you're doing something for another purpose and you get lost in the, uh, uh, anybody, nobody. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Like going to the gym. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. Well, I'll go into the gym. Yeah. That was one. <laughs> yeah. You can go to the gym. You can go to the gym to get strong and um, just focus on your pure physical strength and so you can show off to other people or you can focus on getting strong so you can do your life's mission and to be healthy, right? Uh, eating is another good example, right? Eating is another good example. Um, and what do they say? You know, lose the forest for the trees or something like that, right? Uh, so that's kind of the idea is um, there are many items in this world which can 
be an intermediary directly for something good, but only if we have that purpose in mind, okay? So those items, which if we have the correct purpose of mind can become holy is one type of klipa. Then there are things that are always bad, always evil, and they are there because um, uh, they they are there to give us choice, okay? And uh, that's another type of klipa, which can never be good, okay? It's like this. Um, one second, Natanya. Um, one second, one second. Um, Tanya. Okay, Tanya now begins to categorize a uh, begins a categorization of different entities in the universe powered by various klipos. We'll begin here with the three impure klipos and continue with klipos noga in the next chapter. All right, so we're not going to talk about the intermediary one, the one where you can transform it. We're going to talk mostly here about the evil one, okay? So he says like this, however, the klipos are divided into two levels, one lower than the other. The lower level contains three completely impure and evil klipos that contain no overt good at all. Okay, so that's the lower level. There's a lower level. Now it's called three impure klipos. It's based on a verse in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, as we know, was a prophet that had a famous vision of a chariot. And in his vision of the chariot, it says that he saw a stormy wind, a great cloud, and a flashing fire. And the Kabbalists say these three things, a stormy wind, a great cloud, and a flashing fire. Now, in his vision, in Ezekiel's vision, by the way, these stormy wind, great cloud, and flashing fire were all things that were coming to destroy the Jewish people. Okay, that was his vision. So we know that they were evil forces. And the Kabbalists say these three forces are the forces of the klipa, the evil physical klipot, the, un the unclean forces, which are completely wicked and bad and have no good in them. Except, of course, you know, that they, they create, they create um, good and bad within the world, but they are inherently um, evil, that, that you cannot connect to God in a direct way with them. So sinful things. But then he's going to say like this. That's why I said it's, it's going to be for a moment controversial, but I'll explain it. These three klipos, uh, they power, uh, from them come the metaphysical power, the souls and sustain the bodies of all the wicked nations of the world. Now, in, you notice in the translation, he added the word wicked. Whereas in the original Hebrew, it looks like it's saying all of the nations of the world. That's because we already explained in chapter one at the end that there is a difference between the uh, righteous nations of the world and the rest, okay? The righteous nations of the world come from a different uh, klipa, which we're going to discuss in the next chapter. But all of the wicked nations of the world, they come from the evil free klipot, okay? And unfortunately, we as the Jewish people have had to deal with many wicked nations, right? You don't have to look too far in history. Uh, we're still dealing with some. I would, I would uh, tend to say that Ahmadinejad and uh, Ayatollah Khomeini and uh, the head of Hamas are all of the three evil klipot, right? Um, and unfortunately, there's probably many others out there that are of the three evil klipot. So where do they get their life force from? Um, they are from the three evil powers, which are inherently evil, okay? 
Now you might say, Rabbi, how do you know? Maybe they can become friends of the Jewish people. You're right, maybe they can. But when they die and they haven't, I'm going to assume that they were of the three evil klipot. Okay, so is there always a possibility somebody that's bad can become good? There is that possibility and we'll work on that possibility. But we also have to know that there are some that are just born pure evil and uh, they may never change. That's a possibility too. It's, it's, it's a possibility. Um, so he says like this, uh, B, they produce the souls and sustain the bodies of all impure living creatures that we are prohibited to eat. All right, so this is a more interesting one or not more interesting, it's also interesting. So um, when you're not allowed to eat pork, you're not allowed to eat pork because it comes from the three impure clipot, the three impure uh, elements, uh, which can never be. Zam, you want to go in the van? Yeah, you want to go in the van? Okay. Close, mommy. Okay. Um, so these come from the three. So. Uh, impure animals come from um, very impure uh, levels and which therefore can never be refined. So if you say, well, I'm going to eat pig and with the uh, energy that I get from eating pork, I'm going to do a mitzvah, you cannot elevate that pig because that pig, as we're explaining now, mystically, has, su has such an indirect light from God that you can never transform it to become being a direct light and connection to God. I'll say that one more time. Bas basically, what our, um, what our um, explanation here today, explaining the Kabbalistic idea behind things that are forbidden, something that's forbidden basically means that, that it's completely getting a very indirect uh manifestation of god that's what's sustaining it and because it has such indirect manifestation of god uh it can never change over because it, it never has that type of surrender to god and therefore um it it cannot connect you with god okay something that is um against god something which is not surrendered to god cannot enable you to become connected to god um, another example is, let's say, for example, um, Lashon Hara, let's say evil talk. That's obviously something that, uh, as we'll explain later, is something that is, uh, will not connect you to God, no matter if you think that by doing it, it'll, it'll help you connect to God. The, the, the evil talk itself will not connect you to God. Okay? We understand that. Or um, forbidden relationships. Okay? The forbidden relationship itself can never connect you with God because ultimately they are separating you from God because the life force of all these items are such that they cover over godliness and when you connect yourself with them, you are drawing upon yourself uh, that power, that lack of surrender and so ultimately uh, they will disconnect you from God. That's why it says that nothing can separate you from God except for a sin. Because a sin ultimately is drawing a life force uh, which is not surrendered to God. And therefore, um, and unfortunately, it's a life force that can never become surrendered to God. And therefore, um, it will, to, to a certain extent, disconnect you from God. 
um, this is why we always say when there's someone who, uh, just to give you a positive spin on this, um, you know, in Chabad, a lot of times we, we get somebody to do a mitzvah before we explain them the meaning. Why? What's the reason? Because we believe a mitzvah alone, uh, which gives them a direct connection with, with God, will then help them better understand God. Okay? Conversely, the more sins we do, the harder it is for us to appreciate and connect with God because they are creating barriers because they, they bring a lack of surrender in our life, even if we don't realize them right away, even if we don't are not aware of it, every sin creates a lack of surrender. Um, now you have to understand. Um, wait, so let me read another example. By the way, just talking about impure living creatures. This is why in Chabad, uh, we do not uh, show our children uh, generally. Of course, we teach them about these animals, but we don't generally give our children toys of uh, non-kosher animals because um, our understanding is that the life force of these animals is, is such that's why they're um, generally non-kosher animals are more um, uh, have a more nasty shall we say uh, temperament right kosher animals are typically very calm they're all animals that pretty much are herbivores right uh, whereas non-kosher animals are, are carnivores generally. Uh, similarly, if people want to go into the fish, the bottom feeders, the top feeders, uh, it's not always true, but generally it's true. So the idea is the temperament of these animals is impure. And uh, therefore, we, we don't want our children to connect. You know, we don't want our children to have, let's say, a teddy bear. Okay, I won't give to my kid a teddy bear. Teddy bears are cute. It's true. But bears themselves are not very, uh, they're, they're, they could be very vicious animals. But more deeply, mystically and Kabbalistically, we understand that their life force is coming from an impure place, which is why we can't eat them. And uh, therefore, I wouldn't have my child have a teddy bear uh, because I don't want them to uh, be affected by the, that temperament, so to speak. So that's just uh, just an idea. Um, all right. So Sunny says like this. Number C. And Finally, uh, uh, and our sustenance and life force of all forbidden foods in the vegetable kingdom, such as orla, restricted fruit in the first three years, and kilea karam, produce of a mixed vegetables, vine seeds, as stated in Eitzchayim, section 49, chapter 6. So all these items within the world, so we're not right now talking about items within the world, these all get their life force from, um, from the three impure klipot, which... Uh, don't have a surrender to God. Um, I want to point out a couple interesting things. Um, some things are forbidden to eat, but you're allowed to use them. So, for example, a horse forbidden to eat. You can use a horse or a cow. Well, not only well, cows, not an example. A horse. You can ride a horse, right? So, how can we go around and say that horses are completely, you know, from the unelevated clipot? Uh, that's where they're getting their life force from, and therefore uh, we we can't eat them at all. Um, so, to answer that question, uh, like I said, I was researching this before the class. Uh, the Rebbe has a talk. Has a talk. Um, 
I was looking at it before the class, but I, I didn't get a chance to finish it. So I can't tell you the answer right now. <laughs> uh, hopefully next week I'll finish it. Um, but that is, uh, that's what's going on here. The Rebbe was talking about the Chametz, because Chametz is very interesting. Chametz on Pesach. Chametz, if you think about it, Chametz is originally pure, right? Right? Leavened bread is pure. But then suddenly comes Pesach, it becomes impure. So how does that work, right? So that, that was the talk over there talking about that. Um, so again, to get to the depth of all this is, is going to be very hard. And ultimately, it is a Kabbalistic idea. But we understand how Kabbalistic ideas um, can affect um, the choices that we make in life, uh, which is why we're learning this. And so hopefully you have, so far, a better understanding. We're not done yet. But hope, so hopefully so far you have a better understanding of why it's so important to avoid certain things in our life because they will introduce to our life a lack of surrender to God and surrender is holiness because God can only rest in something that is surrendered to him. Ego pushes God out. And therefore it's so important to stay away from things which their life force is a life force of God that is exiled within them and cannot be elevated uh, because for whatever reason, um, there's a lack of surrender within those items. Now you might say, well, you know, what does it mean a, a bear is, is it has a lack of surrender, right? What like what exactly is the bear doing uh, not to allow God uh, into his life? Um, I don't know, but the so source and the root of the life force of that bear is coming from. A unholy place. We have to believe, we believe as Jews, that everything in this world has to have its life force from God. And so I wouldn't know, but God can tell me that, hey, you should know not, not all life forces are created equal. The life force of a cow is not the same life force as a bear. That's in essence what the Kabbalists are saying God is telling us. You may not be able to, of course, you, you know, you can point to the viciousness of the bear versus the lack of viciousness of a cow. Um, or, you know, a pig being a pig, so to speak. But uh, ultimately, how do we know? It's, it's God telling us. When God says something is impure, that means that's because the root of the life force of that item and element is from a terrible place. And uh, the same thing goes, of course, for people. The, the wicked nations of the world that have been, you know, that have been terrible to the Jewish people, uh, the root of their souls must be coming from a terrible place. Now, do they ever have children that are good? Of course. Are there people in their society that are good? Of course, 100%. We're saying... we're. we're you know, the general, the wicked people, the wicked, the wicked nations, those who were wicked, those are the nations that were wicked. Um, they had a completely horrible um, root source. So why did God create them? You know, maybe to give us free will. And so when we would do wrong, they would attack us or, or whatnot, or, or, or they would entice us in different ways. And so those are different reasons why God would create them. Again, I'm not God, so I couldn't tell you 100%. Just throwing out ideas. Okay. I don't know exactly why in, in every single instance. Um, okay. Um, okay. Let's look at the final part and what he discusses. Um, someone put in the notes here something. It's, okay, no. Okay. All right. Let's take a look over here again. Now he says, not only are there items in this world that are, that, that, that get their life force from this klipa, this non-surrendered life force, right? And so we said, you know, it could be certain people, it could be certain animals, it could be certain vegetables, it could be certain foods. 
He says, and the three klipos are also sustenance and life force of every action, spoken word, and thought prohibited by the 365 negative commandments and their derivatives, as explained in Ace Time a bit, end of chapter five. So here's explained like this. When you do something wrong, how are you able to do it? What's giving you the power to do it? How can you, at that moment, say something that God doesn't want? How are you not disappearing in that moment, right? Now, it's not something we think about because we, we have all sinned many times and we didn't disappear, right? <laughs> so it's not something we would think about. But if you look at the world from a Kabbalistic view of the world, how is it the moment when I say something against God, how do I not disappear? Because God gives me a life force. What's happening? How am I staying in existence? So the answer that Tanya is saying is that, well, at that moment, yes, you are going to get your life force from these three unclean powers, which... They don't need to surrender to God because God gives it a life force uh, which is exiled within them. And so, again, we don't generally think that we should disappear when we do something wrong, right? Uh, you know, people talk about, you know, does a bolt of lightning come and strike you? But in, in, when you think about it in theory, we should disappear. Why should God continuously give us life when we're going against his will, right? What do they say? You know, you're biting the, you're biting the hand that feeds you, right? Uh, if you're giving money to somebody and they constantly making fun of you or, or, or you know, saying terrible things to you, you're going to, you're going to pull back. You're going to stop giving them. Why does God continuously do this? Well, the why is of course, as you say, God wants to give us free will. The how is by God giving us a non-surrendered life force is what we've been discussing here. Uh, but this non-surrendered life force is very evil to the point where, uh, it can never be elevated. So when you do something evil, you can never elevate that except there, there may be an exception the time is going to talk about on third, but generally you cannot elevate it. What you can do, of course, is ask God to forgive you, um, but to elevate it, it's, it's a non-surrender. As explained at the end of chapter five, this discussion will continue directly in the following chapter. We will address Kalipas Noga, which can be more easily redeemed for the good. Um, now the Tanya, and I'm, I'm not going to read it, or maybe I should, but the Tanya at the bottom basically has a footnote the footnotes are, are, are there to explain you sometimes more deeper Kabbalistic concepts, um, which wouldn't necessarily fit in the body of the text. And in this footnote, he basically says how you should always know, of course, that God is everywhere. And he explains it Kabbalistically how, and it's based on the chapters that we'll discuss later. So we'll wait till then. But ultimately, God is all over this world and everywhere. Of course, so as we're saying, um, he is hidden. So in other words, although we said earlier, you know, this world is called evil and this world is called a world of bad and klipot, you should know, of course, God is manifest in the entire world, though at the same time, uh, he is, of course, hidden as well. So um, what's the takeaway? We have, uh, we have three things in this world. We have things that are forbidden. These are things that Torah forbade us. And they come from this very powerful, non-surrendered life force, which can never be elevated because the godly life force within them is so much in exile that uh, they cannot be elevated. That's also why we shouldn't, uh, that's why it's forbidden for us to, let's say, um, uh, connect with any of these things, you know, whether the forbidden unions or the forbidden um, animals that we cannot eat. Then we also have things that are permitted for us. That's going to be a discussion next chapter, things that are permitted. So in other words, they might have a semi-surrendered source, like going to the gym, as we'll discuss next week. Um, and we can elevate them or we can pull them down. And then we have, of course, things that are a mitzvah. Um, so ultimately, when we started the chapter, I said, you know, you're either with God or you're against God. 
right? Either you're you're on the good side or you're either you're surrendered or you're not. As we'll see in next chapter, there is a middle ground in which our choices make a difference, and that's going to be uh, what we're going to discuss. Um, anybody here ever read Ecclesiastes by King Solomon? Yes. Wait, wait, Kohelis. Kohelis is called Ecclesiastes? Is that Kohelis? Yeah, Kohelis. Yes. Right, yeah. so uh, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity, right? That's his famous line. Uh, and, and 26 times he calls things in this world vain. And we can understand why. Based on this chapter, we can understand why he's calling everything in this world vain. Uh, because as we understand, there's vanity in this world. And uh, this is really what he's talking about, is these klipot. And uh, we can actually break it down. There's two reasons why this world can be called vain. One is everything in this world is temporary. And number two is uh, nothing is for sure, right? So in other words, you invest money or time into anything. A, it's temporary, whatever. You, let's say you build a house. And number two, nothing's for sure. A hurricane can, come, can blow it away. Conversely, things that are not vanity, things that are not vain, holy things are A, they, they are forever. Whenever you do a mitzvah, that mitzvah is forever. That connection with God is forever. And uh, number two, it's for sure. You know for sure, you can, it's in the bank that when you do something good, uh, that's going to last forever. And so that's really uh, what we can pull away from today is that um, this world is, is, is vain until we bring meaning into it. This world is full of things some things we have to avoid, some things we can use, but um, uh, it's up to us to, to make the right choices. And so, um, of course, I understand that not everybody here on this call, and myself included, do everything right all the time. And sometimes we do get involved in the three wicked klipot, and sometimes we feel a lack of surrender. Um, of course, though, our job is to try and become better every single day. And hopefully by understanding a little bit more the mystical meaning behind why certain things are forbidden and why certain things are permitted. Um, you know, people ask, does God really care if I eat a uh, pig? Well, of course, first of all, the answer is yes. You know, because uh, God has the ability, because he's so great, he has the ability to care about details, right? In other words, we are limited. So we can only care about so many things. So a lot of times we focus on the larger things. We, we don't care about the smaller things. God has the ability to be macro and micro focused. Okay, so number one is yes, God does care. But number two, as we're explaining today, um, when you're eating pig, you, you are disconnecting yourself from God. And so of course God doesn't want you to be eating ham uh, because you are partaking of something that has a energy and a life force that has a lack of surrender to God. And God, of course, all aside from, of course, not listening to God, which is of course a lack of surrender, God wants you to connect with him. Um, and... Um, that's really what our entire life life is about is trying to find ways to connect with him. And so whenever we're doing an action that uh, creates a lack of surrender, um, then we're, we're, God's presence within us is going to be there. We're not going to disappear, but God's presence within us is going to be exiled. And uh, so if we were to imagine, as the Tanya describes later, every time you do a sin, it's as if you're pulling the king Tanya describes it. Imagine every time you sin, you're pulling the king and you're stuffing his head into a toilet. That's how the Tanya described it. Literally, when you sin, you're forcing God to come into something unclean. Um, and of course, you being a Jewish soul, a Jewish soul, a godly soul, uh, you have a godly soul within you. When you sin, you're you're sort of forcing the godliness within you to now be subsumed within a horrible place. And uh, why would we want to do that? Because we're not thinking. That's why. 
Okay, I'm not saying I, I do it all around, but that's that's really why we're not we're not we have a lack of awareness. So ultimately, the whole Tanya is going to be really to create this awareness of the world around us. And the more aware you are of the reality of the world, you know, um, then uh, everything, uh, then your life changes. You know, that's really what I would say. The greatest idea of Hasidic philosophy is really creating an awareness, the awareness that God creates the world every single moment. Why is God creating the world every single moment? It also helps you uh, overcome obstacles in your life. When you realize the obstacles are only there being created by God to give you a test, or you realize the obstacles are only there, uh, the whole world is only being created for you to do the mission that you're that you're meant to do. Um, the obstacles become less of an obstacle because you you realize that they're just a facade, they're just a smoke show on uh, what really needs to get done. And similarly, uh, when we have a greater awareness of uh, the items around us, uh, we can we can work on ourselves to actually become repulsed by uh, forbidden things. I'm not saying I'm there. Well, certain things I, I definitely am repulsed by by ham and bacon, but uh, that's because mostly because I grew up without it and cheeseburgers as well. But uh, the more awareness we have about the things around us, not just because God says, no, 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 you can't have it, but we understand spiritually, they're completely made of different stuff, right? Similarly, um, you know, if someone just tells you you can't eat, you know, junk food, but when you, when, when, when someone delves deeply into the science and really, you know, reads all the labels and sees how much sugar they have, when you have a greater awareness of, of junk food, you will automatically come to avoid them much more. Similarly, we have to have a greater awareness of the junk stuff all around us and that will help us uh, live a life of uh, more meaning and more purpose and i hope to see you all next week when we will discuss the middle part of life and uh, how to find the items which are not obviously surrendered to god and uh, how all of that works thank you for coming i know it's complicated hopefully next week i'll try <laughs> that topic about um about why uh, what happens to things that are forbidden to eat but you're allowed to use them and how exactly that works, you know, where is their life force from, and uh, hopefully I'll do that for you for next week. Yes, a co-op, Rabbi. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you.